everyone. Welcome back for another episode of Over the Bridge Podcast. It's your boy Bilal. Um, today we've got Kwaku and Tom with us. Patrick couldn't make it because he's got to run errands for his mum. So large up auntie for that one. Um, but we've also got a very special guest who'll be joining us in just a minute. And I've got a very special guest in my arms, my two-month-old son. So if you do hear screaming baby at some point, it will be him. But before we get going, um, Kwaku, Tom, how are you both doing today? Yo, uh, good bro, good Sunday morning vibes. Um, yeah, man, still, bro, like as as is usually the case, still half asleep, still kind of like in zombie mode. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, we're good, man. We're good. I hear that. How you doing, Tom? Yeah, man, I'm good, man. Weather's nice over here. I'm going to go to the beach afterwards, have a little bit of a drive down to a beach, um, chill for a couple of hours because the weather's been weird. Like, it's... Like weekdays, it rains crazy, but weekends it just seems to open up, which is perfect to be honest. So I'm just gonna do that. Do you know, every time I ask you how you're doing, Tom, you just make me feel jealous. Why, but like you've never, you, you've always got some nice sort of trip planned for the day. Oh, fam, something out in nature as well. The best, yeah. Tom has a, a the, nice balance. The best investment I made last year was to buy a car. That was the best mm. investment I think I made, just to be able to get around the country and that, and just enjoy it and. Yeah, man, so I'm grateful. Busy week, but to be honest, it, it's all fine. I mean, if the, the the weather's kind of horrible, then that's fine. Stay indoors, but now weather's nice. It's going to go get a couple of cans, you know, put it in the boot, in the cooler, <laughs> and then on my way. But now, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, man. I'm feeling good. Um, back at work, and work is like keeping me busy, as, but I'm feeling wide awake today because I managed to have about five and, or six hours sleep, which nowadays is like, it feels like a proper lion feel crispy ready to go <laughs> so um but yeah thank you for asking man um it's funny last week i think you weren't here tom in it and then um i was like oh if anyone cares this is how i am <laughs> yeah, and yeah, I, think, yeah. <laughs> I think um quaker even said yeah because normally tom's the only one that asks you that in it <laughs> but glad to have you back tom man. yeah no, thank you for coming. Be, yeah i feel i feel glad that you're back with us but anyway um Today, I'm so excited to introduce my friend, but also timeline extraordinaire for anyone who's on Twitter. Um, <laughs> you might know this guy. I mean, everyone should know this guy. He's a legend in the making, but also a legend currently in the world. Let's introduce Richie Brave. How you doing, man? I love you, bro. Look at that, man, for an intro. An I was intro. just sitting here. I was sitting here just screwing about going to the beach because I'm going <laughs> New Cross Road. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Not quite the beach, but you know. We do what we can. The weather, the weather here is nice as well, you know. Hey, there's some good, there's some good pubs. Stop near, showing off, no, bro. There's some good pubs no, near Newcross, you know. Let's not, no, no, no. Come on, man. You know, uh, yeah, yeah, no, man. no. I'm happy for the sun. I'm a bit tired, like you lot, because I stayed up for the SWV and escape. So I think I went to bed at like four something. Mm. Old school R and B, oh, in it. Like, yeah, yeah, I missed man. that one. Still, how was that one? It was good. I mean. Coco is what's, really what's a character. Versus? What was this? Yeah, versus. yeah, it's a versus. Yeah, versus, versus. Ain't she man. like fifty it was really now? Good. Auntie Coco, oh, she's fifty. Mad, mad. Yeah, oh, fifty. God. They were phenomenal, though, man. Mad. Like a lot of people expected more, but for me, I just like the tunes and the vibes in it. So I'm waiting for the Mary J. Blige, man. That's what. That's what I'm waiting for, brother. Bro, I'm I waiting. said this yesterday. I'm waiting. Oh. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for that I one, agree, man. I agree. I'm waiting. One of man. the greatest artists of all time. Period. You know what? Someone, someone once said to me, yeah, that if if um you are raised in a single parent um household, yeah, of course you're gonna know who Mary J. Blige is, and that 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 line has hit me so hard. <laughs> I was like, you know what? Yeah, there was a time in my life. Not gonna lie, I was just banging that Mary oh J. Blige. I'm not gonna lie to you, man. So she's been there for me still. I won't. I I do not. There, there's certain artists I don't tolerate slander from, yeah, or about. 
Prince is obviously one of them, rest in peace. Um, and Mary J. Blige, because people say, oh, she can't dance. Like, bro, no one, we know she can't dance, bruv. We know, it's fine, but it's endearing. Fab, she got her own, she, she got, got, you know, got her own it's endearing. Style, it's endearing. You know? And these young young kids yeah. will say, oh, nah, she's not, you know. Nah, man, nah, nah, nah. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> if people chat mad, yeah, tag me. <laughs> I've got you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I'm down for the tag team. <laughs> oh, God. But Richie, thank you for joining us, man. Um, Thanks for having me. Just for anyone who for any reason, doesn't know who you are. Do you want to do a little intro to who you are, what you do? Yeah. So in terms of who who I am, I'm Richie. It's always weird doing this stuff because like you're you in it. You never really think about it. But yeah, so I kind of do, um, I've got a show on One Extra every Sunday, nine to 10, pluck, 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 um, called One Extra Talks that kind of explores the experiences of black communities. So I'm a presenter in that sense, a presenter for BET. So I do a lot of their video content. Um, I work in the DNI space as well from a publishing and media perspective. yeah, I, I, I'm I writing at the moment. I'm doing a bit of this, a bit of that, and just a keyboard warrior, innit? But I'm like, <laughs> impartiality's got me having to close my mouth now. I can't <laughs> I can't move mad on the timeline because I need to get paid, so. <laughs> wow. I, I don't know who I am anymore, but now it's, <laughs> it's the answer. Uh, no, you're one of those people that's very hard to miss in the world because you've also got such a powerful voice and a critical voice and so many things that I think people need to hear. And um, from my perspective, I guess sort of framing today's conversation, this this particular topic came out of, I think me and you were just talking in general. And um, I was talking with the guys on this podcast just about what does black British platforming look like? Like what does a successful black British platform look like? And also just a sort of coming together at the current moment in time of a lot of black British creatives um, and things seem to be going very well for people over here. But also things going very well in very disparate ways is something that I've at least observed, like loads of small things and not really a lot of stuff coming together. And really just framing today's conversation, I wanted to talk to you a little bit, um, given that you're a presenter and given that you do so much work in this space about what good looks like for Black British platforms. Sounds like a plan, man. Sick, sick. Um, So anyone, just kicking it off, Anyone want to firstly talk about what maybe their favourite example of a Black British platform has been? Hey, um, pressure. Black British platform. Oof. Wow. Because I remember, you know, Jenny Francis. Them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> remember that? Come on, then. Yeah. legend in the legend game, in the game brother. And, mm. and for those of our, 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 our younger listeners who don't remember Choice mm. FM, um, this woman had a velvet voice, yeah, and just <laughs> bring on the finest R and B tracks, and yeah, man, and um, yeah, you could you could serenade the babes like while Jenny Francis is in the background playing tunes. <laughs> Um, but it was it was authentic as well. That was the thing. It wasn't it wasn't like a gimmick as we had as we had with certain other radio um, DJs as well who might have done something for the scene. But I don't always I question the authenticity. There's one DJ in particular who I just think nah I don't I don't believe that this guy's authentic at all. Still doing radio now, by the way. Um, 
But <laughs> you want to say his name so bad, like so bad. I don't really yeah. want to. I don't even think I need to dignify this conversation by bringing okay. his name into the conversation. I just never. Let's put it this way: like when Kenny Allstar took over on 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 radio, I enjoyed it a lot more than his um, previous artists, just because I felt there was more authenticity. But we'll leave it there. I for me, I think good is something that's authentic. I think, um, um, and that isn't. It doesn't always have to have a knee-jerk response or reaction. Do you know what I mean? Because we have seen some other... It's quite hard because it's like... I'll give you another example of things that I enjoyed. And Richie, you were on this. When they did like Grapevine UK, I enjoyed that because it was authentic. I enjoy, I enjoyed that a lot. Um, there might have been a little bit of discord, but no one got to the point where there was disharmony. Do you know what I mean? Because I think every relationship, regardless of whether it's... Um, uh, there's a physical intimacy element or whether it's just a bunch of guys that are cool in the pub, whatever, there's always going to be an element of discord. But so long as there's not, you know, and that to me was authentic, authentic, but sometimes I see some other stuff and I'm like, it's not authentic. You're creating this to get a buzz, which I, I understand people need to get paid. But, you know, in terms of what good looks like, I think something that can organically grow because it is natural. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. So... Mm. Mm. I think for me, I'll probably have to kind of look into my childhood for like my first, my first real like, um, probably real feeling of black British culture or black British identity probably comes through music and through grime music specifically. Mm. And I think prior to that, um, and even yeah, during the time as well, like as far as like if I wanted a visual representation of like blackness is always coming from America, it's from watching Trouble and and like uh, one on one mm, on wife and mm. kids or like all these different TV shows, um, even Nickelodeon back in the day when they had like the the kind of like the young yeah. black shows yeah, like Moesha and mm. and Sister Sister and all those types of things, but it wasn't really until I think for me, um, like grime and and just like music from our culture really started being shown and that was primarily for me at least. Um, through a radio station called On Top FM, and this has popped into my head oh, yeah. recently because this mm. this is a very this is like a very very niche South London pirate radio station back in yeah. the day. I don't know what they're saying now, but like they used to have like different crews from different ends come and clash. So you know, like grime was obviously I'll give it to you, East Londoners, Tom and that like from your sides. That's where that's the foundation, right? But like South London had its own scene, yeah. And on top of them was for me kind of like a hub of that where you have these different crews. You don't even know what people mm. really look like too tough, but you know their voices, you know their bars. They're coming on this platform, they're clashing each other. Um, and it's very just raw, very authentic. Like, um, and and I think for me, that was like the first like real kind of, I don't know who the owners were, whatever, but like there'll be the clashes, there'll be... Um, like a talk show where people come and giving like questions and then like you have the radio presenter I think his name was Stamina DJ Stamina yeah he yeah, like, it was, um, yeah yeah he used to like respond and like and, and do dilemmas and that kind of thing it was just like fun just like locking in knowing that like if you live within a I don't know three mile or whatever mile radius you, you like this is your kind of bubble that you can tap into um, and it's and, and it represents like people that are like you talk like you dress like you listen to the same music as you that kind of thing um and now that's kind of evolved over time where we have more visual representation as well through things like channel U when that came about um but 
I think now like it's become a lot more nuanced. You're getting a lot more of um, a fuller spectrum of Black British culture. It's not just like what some might call like I don't know urban thingy. You're having like uh, we're starting to get an understanding of like maybe like a Black middle class um, narrative being told. You're starting to get like all these different aspects, not just the kind of road side of things, um, which which I think is healthy. But um, that's my first like kind of platform that I really like. Oh, this is this represents me. This represents kind of like where I'm from. Yeah, it's interesting because you know I was gonna say another music one, and it's funny that like for all three of us so far at least we're talking about music um, as a platform. I was just interested thinking about like Black British contribution in so many ways. But I was gonna talk about SBTV man because, and I guess that's another mm. sort of localized reference, I suppose. Knowing Jamal's from West, but um. Yeah, just when I was younger, it was this accessibility of videos like that for me. I remember thinking, this is new, this is sick. And I remember just sitting with my cousin in like half term and stuff. So basically, it was like the start of YouTube, wasn't it, around that, that period in my life where things were a little bit newer and just started like going through videos, just watching bare different different people. And it was it was almost for me like, wow, this was this is possible that someone literally just picked up a camera and made stuff so mm. visible to me. And I thought that was pretty cool. Um, but Richie, man, what, what about you? What do you think? I'm just, I'm over here nodding, man. So yeah, mm. I definitely agree with all that's been said. I mean, if we're talking about TV and representation, mm. things like a the A Force, um, Real McCoy, Desmonds, because I'm Guyanese, of course, man. So Desmonds, man, Guyanese, man, like me. Desmond's oh, is definitely yeah. like in terms of that representation. We had something called Baba Z as well, which was on for a little bit, um, and that was on Channel Four. So there were like numerous things on television. I'd say online platforms. If we're talking about like the embryonic stages, it was Black Chat. So Blacknet back in the day mm. really connected Black people from across the country, and it was I'm showing my age here. It was the early days of kind of um, talking platforms. So um, like it, they, it was before like even MySpace, all of that, like everyone just used to go on black chat and talk to each other and connect with each other. It was just a fantastic platform. And then they had Black Peeps, which was another UK, um, another UK platform that uh, people in the community came up with for people to connect with each other. And I think it kind of just started um, it really started that kind of black platform online mm. thing. And then we had also a organization called the 1990 Trust. They had a website called Blink, um, blink.org, I think it was, if I remember rightly. I used to work for them back in the day, so that's how I remember it. And basically they were like a hub of news for the mm. black community. So they would have loads mm. of different like stories um, or black communities, I should say, like plural, there's a number of communities. Well, so it's sort of like the voice yeah it was like that man but online so it's before all of those all of those is before all of those platforms came online mm. and mm. you know people were just kind of working out the internet what it does how to build websites all of that kind of stuff but those platforms were just fantastic in connecting people across the country like it was just a, it was a real interesting time and this was like 90s you know what i mean 90s r&b them like late late 90s and that so yeah, man, it was a fantastic time. And pirate radio stations as well. So for me, it was Baseline FM. And um, the Galflex crew used to have a show where people would like send in their dilemmas and all of that kind of stuff. And it was just, I don't know, man, back then it was a fantastic time. I'm just happy that 
we've got the online space that we do now and there are so many platforms though like even when we're talking about what got like good looks like i think there are a number of ways number of ways that good can look and like authenticity is not just one thing right like we all exist in different spheres and some of us like different types of things so i think you know when we're talking about authenticity i think it was was it tom did you say that yeah 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 when we're talking about authenticity it's just like knowing what your lane is and who you are mm. and what makes sense to you mm. and the people who are coming to listen to whatever engage with whatever platform mm. you have making sure that you're catering to them and just being true to yourself when you lay down your head at night you can feel comfortable with the stuff that you're putting out there you know what i mean mm. that's interesting let me flip it another way then what does bad look like <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know who kissed their teeth, but yeah, that's that was me. <laughs> you see, for me, right, bad is um, when you are having conversations about communities to cause disruption. Mm. So, like, you can chat something. There was something recently, um, and they were talking about the LGBT community, right, and homosexuality, and it was like you. None of the people discussing it belong to that community. You've mm. had this discussion. People's identities are now being attacked and discussed online. And mm. then you can just walk away from it mm. because you aren't affected by it day by day. And it's the same thing when we have conversations around single parents or conversations around mm. p- um, people with varying different identities. When you're having that for sensation, like the trans community are spoken mm. about a lot, right? And it's sensational and it's provocative and everyone loves it. But there's no authenticity to that. You're just trying to build a platform on the backs of other people's oppression and pain. And mm. you just walk away from it. You go home to your bed and people are still having to live in that environment you created. That's what bad looks like for me. Like that sensationalism. Mm. You don't care. There's no love in what you're doing. Mm. You're just doing it for clicks and vibes. And I, yeah. I, like, for me, being such an emotional loving person, I hate that stuff, man. I was about yeah. to swear. Can you swear? Yeah, go ahead, man. Hate that shit, man. <laughs> Fucking hate it. <laughs> you know, I was thinking, can I swear? Like, I'm a swearer. But yeah, yeah go that ahead, man. Bro, I swear like That's I'm a ring. It's all right, man. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. You're a good company. Yeah, you're a good company. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, that's for me. That's what bad looks like, man. Anything that causes disruption for no reason. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because mm. I've never, I've never thought of the word sensationalism alongside that, but it's something I've observed so much is this almost like dropping a bomb on our entire group of people, dragging them for personal benefit and then disappearing. Yeah. then gaining followers and gaining traction in the process. And it, I don't know if that seems to be, it's almost like a new market employee for some people really, isn't it? But like it sells, it, it be... sells, you know what I mean? It's the thing, mm. it's, um, oh, it's like, I think that was what I was referring to earlier, Richie and, and Bilal, it's, it's like, um, Sometimes you'll see stuff, especially like with the online platform, sometimes you'll see uh, either a debate that is very confrontational and people just, it's like, like there'll be a debate and it's like a grenade, right? Yeah. And the pin's been pulled out by the producers, whatever, and then, and then just watch everything, you know, implode. Yeah. Um, I don't, I'm, I'm still undecided as to whether that constitutes as good or as bad, but I do think that it, yeah, I think it can be dangerous more time. You know what I mean? Because I think, um, again, like Richie said, sometimes people just throw their opinions and just throw their hats in without actually thinking about anything else. It's just there, Um, which I find, yeah, I I find quite annoying, but I understand why it works though. Cause it's like, it's just the premise of media, right? It's like the whole idea of, uh, 
sex and scandal sales. You know what I mean? Like we go back to, um, you remember the phone, the voicemail scandal with Piers Morgan and the Daily Mail and all that stuff. Oh, you remember yeah. years, I don't yeah. know if it was Mirror or whatever it is, one of those um, tabloids about the fact that like, to get newspaper, you know, to get, you know, your articles printed, you were going into the voicemail, voicemails of those who were missing or deceased and not even yeah. telling the family about that, which, you know, you can, you can, you know, you can, you can, you can assess the moral compass and moral judgment that these people had for themselves, for yourselves, I should say. But um, yeah, that to me, I find a little bit, but you know, end of the day, people will say, ah, oh, but money has to be made and whatever. And, mm -hmm. you know, and you can say, oh, but if you want to, uh, if you want to watch something else, you can watch something else. But still, I find that a little bit, you know, not that I, listen, I'm, I'm not the person to come and talk about a moral compass because whatever, you know, nobody's perfect, but I find that a bit disturbing sometimes. But yeah, man. Mm. I think there's a bit of a challenge when it comes to like, whether or not these platforms are meant to kind of be a mirror of what the conversations that are being had, like, in the community already um or whether or not there has to be the thinking of okay cool this is a platform where we're speaking about issues that we're facing to ourselves but then also there's people from outside that are going to be looking in and having a of uh having to accommodate like hmm how's this going to look to external parties listeners mm. have this kind of like internal dialogue mm. on a in a public platform do you know what i mean um and it's it's a tricky one because you know the whole thing about like, like if you're having an argument within the family, keep it within the family yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. And then for everyone else, it becomes a bit of like entertainment. Is is a show like oh, I'll look at these lot like tearing each other, tearing off each other's heads. Even if it might, there might be a valid conversation behind it. It's like how we have that conversation and who's privy to it. Um, I kind of feel like has to be thought about, but it is a hard balance to strike on the internet, especially. Yeah, yeah it, uh, there's a question that was that sort of brought up for me and maybe Richie you can talk to this a little bit um does a black British platform necessarily need to have a appeal beyond just black British people I just it depends on what the platform is being built mm. for innit like mm. I just I hate these you know these buds terms it's not monolithic but you hear it all the time <laughs> but it's true though right like I just think and that's I've heard where, that so many times. It, I'm not a monolith, and it's true though. That's true. That's that. That is a, a good point. But you know what it is? Is when we, it, what you're talking about is just descending into identity politics, really. Yeah. And mm. just like you can't be anything outside of your identity. Yeah. And actually, you can be. So like, if you're having a black platform, I, I, I okay. Let me use like an example from a DNI perspective, right? Like, mm. if you're just bringing on black people to talk about being black all day, you then you're is you're doing the black community or black communities a disservice. Yeah. Actually, we are multifaceted people. If yeah. I'm a farmer and I'm a great farmer and you've just got me, you just brought me on to talk about being black and what it is to be a black and a farmer. There's a problem. Talk mm -hmm. to me about why I'm a great farmer and why mm -hmm. I'm good at that and what mm -hmm. I'm doing and you know how I got to where I am and mm -hmm. maybe some of the things that come in. And obviously parts of your identity are going to be involved in that. But I think sometimes we really restrict ourselves because we it's it's almost like we're only given a microphone to talk about being black. And actually yeah. there is an ex mm -hmm. there are varying experiences outside of that. And for a lot of people, you know, it's an interesting part of their identity, but it's not the most interesting part. Yeah. And there are other things that you know we're able to connect to. So so I feel like 
it just depends what your platform is, in it. Like, if your platform is about talking about being black, then that's what you should be talking about. If your platform well, not should look at me authoritarian, but like <laughs> that that's what your that's what your platform's based on. If your platform's based on being I, I I don't know living in South London, then your platform's based on living in South London. But I do think we should be given space to expand out of maybe some of these boxes that we're forced into. Does that answer the question? Or am I rambling? Oh yeah, for real. It's making me think even more about what good looks like in terms of it's like the focus doesn't need to be race you know like that i think so many people like you said almost pigeonholed into that being the only experience you can talk about that it does become almost a be all and end all of it yeah exactly yeah and there's a space for it though like i'm not saying we shouldn't let's never talk about race and be color blind i'm not saying that at all but what (laughs) i'm saying is (laughs) you know what i mean though i hear you 100 percent man yeah like i'm not saying yeah we should never be talking about these things i'm like yeah that, that that's part of the conversation but actually how about we are more dynamic and we're, we're multifaceted and we should be given space to speak about other things and we should be giving ourselves space to do that as well I'll flip. I, I, I was gonna say I flipped that on his head, but sometimes I hear you. I hear you. I just I hear you. But I I think one of the questions that often comes to my mind is, are we given the space to be anything else apart from a black face, black voice? A lot of the time, and I'm not into. I, I, sometimes I question whether the answer to that is yes, whether we are actually given the space because it's like it's a question of. I'll give an analogy. It's like the whole idea of, okay, when you meet someone, you ask someone, okay, looks or personality? And it's like, well, what? Can you see someone's personality before you can see their looks? You know what I mean? It's like the first the first barrier, not first barrier is the wrong word, but the first the first thing you see is someone's colour. And that sometimes means that people are have a tendency to be pigeonholed, if that makes any sense, you know? So that's kind of- I feel of, like we're saying the same yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, agree. yeah, yeah. No, for 100%, sure. 100%. For sure. 100%, bro, I agree. But it's just one of the things that I have in my head. But go on, Kwaku. I was, I was just going to say, so like, obviously, I think what we're all kind of coming towards is like, we have, race is just one aspect of our identities, right? And we want to be able to like, authentically present ourselves and our, the full aspects of our beings, not just talk about everything as it pertains to race. But like, does what does that mean for like, having a curated platform where it's like, this is a black British platform or is it a thing where we just, we have us as individuals on mainstream, um, on the mainstream platforms being ourselves. Is that, does that do more of a service than having like a, okay, this is the place you go to for black British voice or for black British discussions. Do you, do you get me? Or is it, are we just trying to bring that conversation to the mainstream or we, or do we create like our own section where this is, what we talk about, if that, if that makes sense. Tell me, because I feel like we're sitting on one right now, no? Like we're talking on a black British platform. <laughs> to me, it's true. I don't mm. know. So like, what would you say, like in terms of the way you cur- curated your podcast, like how does that relate to maybe the points we've made? Hmm. That's a that good is question, a good question, Richard. Because <laughs> I mean, we started it off, we started it off very like on a selfish, not selfish, but like kind of kind of personal for me at yeah. least. Yeah, like, 100%. I was like, okay, cool. Mandem, let's link up. We ain't spoken in a while. Let's mm-hmm. unpack this whole experience that we had together that we may not have really talked about properly during mm-hmm. the time. But now with a couple of years of breathing space, we can really reflect and say, oh yeah, Rod, that was mad. Oh, that happened to you too. Okay, cool. And just talk about that experience. And then I think it kind of took a life of its own yeah. where these are just things, these are topics that are 
constantly on our minds just through our daily experience that is going to come about in conversation and like I think is is very hard to divorce your experience from your race in as a black or mixed race or whatever ethnic minority mm. background you are in the UK like it just it just seeps into every the most aspects of your being whether it be your career um you know so many different different things so I think it kind of just naturally did that and we did kind of put a at least in the wording of like how we described the podcast we did intentionally kind of say yeah we are for black and mixed race Mm, guys um Mm. but i don't know if we had a real agenda behind it when we when we did it it was more it just kind of naturally came about but i go back i go back to the convert the conversation that we had uh, years ago about what 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 led us to doing it in the first place about the chicken connoisseur and about kind of there is the concept of black excellence, right? About kind of, if, if you're trying to do well mm. as a black person in the UK, you don't really have scope to be mediocre if you're trying to, if, if, you're, if you're trying to not get recognized as such, but if you're trying to get reach some kind of acclaim, you can't just be mediocre. It'll just be brushed aside by everyone, quite frankly. And that is kind of what brought us here. Do you know what I mean? So mm. I think, I think it was, and also I think it was it was the fact that when I think I mean I think things have things have incrementally and I say that in with, with quotation marks incrementally kind of changed in Cambridge i.e not that much but just a little bit but I think it was at the time everybody kind of just assumed that there was just the and it's the, it's the truth there's just loads of white middle class privately educated people that were there and there was no other experience or at least there was no no one had vocalized the experience, and so I f- we felt initially anyway. Obviously, it's, it's changing in, in in ways, but I think that was kind of what led to us doing it in the first place. I think so. Yeah, yeah. I don't think there was a cl- like a like a mission statement. You know, we never started out with any mission. You just sort of carry on doing what you're doing and realize that there's a particular experience that you're talking about, um, which is shared in some ways, but also different in others. You know. I don't know if that answers mm. you. Richard. I think that's important though, because like what I'm hearing from what you guys are saying is, it's how your blackness interacts with varying different envi- environments and experiences. And mm. then there's a difference between that and because I'm black, this is what the experience is going to be. Yeah. yeah. You know, mm. so it, there's an exploration of identity and how it interacts with experience, environments, people, like historically white organizations and spaces and there's a conversation to be had in that i think what happens what i'm saying is bad is when people come on and say this is the black experience and Mm -hmm. black people only experience this in this space and this is all we're going to talk about and Mm -hmm. actually you do yourself a real disservice because Mm -hmm. there is there are black communities plural and there are varying experiences and i think that's what's important with black spaces like what you've just described around your podcast is you shared a similar experience but there's something to talk about because the experience is going to feel different for each of you right mm. and mm. that's where the identity politics stuff for me is dangerous because you can't make this assumption because someone's black this is their experience i think mm. i think it's quake who said this in the beginning about like th- the kind of middle class blackness coming out and that conversation happening was it mm. you was it tom yeah yeah, yeah, it's Quaku, yeah, 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 yeah. Quaku. So 
like how that conversation expands, right? So your working class black person is going to have a completely different experience to maybe your middle class black person. There are going to be overlaps and bridges, but there are going to be differences. And I think that is what good looks like, right? It's acknowledging that raw. Like when we're coming to have this conversation, black is the thing that connects us, but there are a number of different things that are going to make that experience different for us. So it's not being Mm. assumptive, it's giving ourselves, and I think it speaks to Tom's point. I think Tom said this, giving ourselves space to talk about that experience from a personal perspective and understand that it's different for different people. Yeah, Uh, man, that's making Mm. me think. I had a conversation, I caught with a guy from school, not recently, but a while ago. And you know when like, you know, as an adult, you just start seeing things or thinking back to things that happened in school and you see it with a whole new pair of eyes as a teenager, you were just kind of there in it. And he, he was my boy in school, but we weren't tight. And he said to me that he never felt that he was allowed to be the version of black that he is. And I was like, what does that even mean? And it made me, you know, I was questioning him and we talk about it for a while. And he was just saying that there was, we went to a school where there wasn't that many black people, right? And there was an expectation as to what black people should be based mm-hmm. normally on assumptions people had gathered from hip hop or grime or TV and not with an understanding that black people are more than just those representations of people. And this guy just wasn't into that stuff, you know, like he was into mm. totally different kind of music was, he was a middle-class guy and he just felt that he had to play up to an expectation of who he was without any understanding that he could be different to that. Mm. And it's made mm. me think about, you know, the visibility. And I think obviously you know, everyone always says things are changing, like the progress, right? Everything's getting better. But there is increasingly a little bit more visibility of the different people that exist that are black. You know, it's like, what's it called? The, what's her name? Jayanne Lopez. She does the Black Gamer Girls. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Timmy she... does that nerd nerd stuff as well. And yeah, like, Nerd Council, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nerd Council, that's it. And those things, you know, that wasn't even, I don't remember at least seeing that when I was younger growing up um and I think the visibility of that stuff is changing things slightly but also as mm-hmm. Richie's saying those things still exist in like like there's like they're a separate entity to to other as to of like to the main conversation do you know what I mean am I making sense I don't know if I'm I'm trying to say that there's like little bits that exist in their own bucket but also you don't see that represented wholly on together in the mainstream that you can be all of Mm -hmm. these other things yeah it feels it feels like it relates to i think tom made this point about not being given space yeah you know sometimes was it you tom that said that like us or maybe quaker i can't remember but like give us not being afforded space to be who we are and you know explore different sides of ourselves and present different sides of ourselves and that's Mm. the mainstream right that's how kind Mm. of like without taking it too deep that's kind of like how like that kind of white supremacist view (laughs) of blackness is it's kind of like yo we're telling you that you're this kind of people and sometimes the more you're told something you lean into it right and some of them stereotypes uh, not the negative ones, but like lots of us do like hip hop music and we shouldn't yeah. be ashamed of that. And some of us, lots of us do like the things that are like stereotypically seen as black, but that doesn't mean that makes up our identity. And it's about being yeah. able to recontextualize that kind of stuff, right? Just cause you're telling me I like it. That's not the reason why I do. I like it because I do. And I'm allowed to share my narrative and my story of that, not feed into the one that you're projecting onto me. 
Damn. Every time you say mm. stuff, Richie, I'm just thinking, you know, you're one of them. You're one of them <laughs> everything's people. Everything's a soundbite, like. Yeah, every, yeah everything's man. a soundbite. Every, every word is, is powerful, like. Yeah. It's very weird. So, Richie, I've got, I got a question for you. Now that, now that you kind of have your own space and your own um, platforms, how do you try and accommodate for, um, as we were kind of saying, like the various different spaces that black people have or different subgroups not subgroups but you know what I mean different kind of yeah I don't want to I can't say faction or subgroup but you know what I mean like how do you how do you account for and I don't like the I don't like the n-word nuance because it's too overused huh but it's how how do we <laughs> how do we how how do you like try and accommodate for different people's experiences so whether it's working class middle class or someone likes hip-hop someone hates it how do you try and accommodate for those things in the spaces that you have yeah, I think you described it like perfectly, right? So like moving away from the nuance because I know you don't like that <laughs> But you said varying experiences and that's what it is. And I have a fantastic production team behind me that acknowledge that as well. And it's just creating a space for people to come on and um, be their greatest self and speak yeah. their greatest story and talk in their loudest voice and sit in their truth and know that they're not going to be judged. And I think that's the beauty of having a space like that. Like when we have meetings from a production perspective, we're unapologetic about, oh yeah, there's another buzzword, but we are, we don't apologize. <laughs> like we create, okay, let me, let me say this, yeah. We create a space where you don't have to be apologetic. You don't have to be mm. unapologetic, sorry, because there's nothing mm. to apologize for. Our mm. space is like you and who you are. So it's we make sure that we pick subject matters that allow people to shine. And we make it very clear with the content that we put out. Yo, like you don't have to be a certain type of person to be on this show. You can be who you are. And when we do have these conversations, obviously being on the BBC as well. So when we think about impartiality, we try and have varying sides of the same conversation. So it creates it, it creates a, a more balanced perspective and a mm. spicier convo, you know what I mean? The convo gets a little bit spicy because people are different. But for me, I say this all the time, man, and it's so cliche and it's so cheesy, but I'm, it's my truth. And I just try and bring, like, I love people in it. I hate them, but like, I love them. And I always try and, <laughs> you know, I'm always like, I hate people, but I am a very loving guy, you know what I mean? Like I'm yeah, that kind of soft and emotional, so. I always try and bring that to any platform that I have and create a space of love. Like, even if I don't agree with you, this is a space of love and respect. And I think when you open it out like that, you find people approach you rather than you having to approach them. I think that's mm. how I do it, to be honest. I'm just like, yo, like, people are really scared of coming on media platforms because they think, and it's happened, and we've seen it being discussed on the timeline, people get brought on to be set up and it's a yeah. setup, in innit? Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. I'm gonna come on, where I, I'm going to make you think you're coming on for one thing. And then when you get on the show, actually I'm bringing you on for something different and I'm bringing you on to grill you. That's not what we do on the show, man. Like the, the conversations that we have from a production perspective are exactly the ones you're going to be having on the show. So mm. it's making sure that people know that when they come on, they're safe and they're respected mm. and they're held. And even if I don't live it and I don't hundred percent understand it, I respect it in the same way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Richie, mm. I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about that because, you know, having listened to a couple episodes um, with my son, sometimes it's like, it makes such nice listening, you know, just hearing sort of the way in which you have balance in conversation. But what you said there about often people are asked to come on things and it's like a setup, right? You're being set up to fail yeah. or you're being set up to um, be harassed or antagonized. Um, as someone who does this for a living, in your opinion, what makes like there's a balance right between a good conversation 
um, where everyone's kind of in agreement, but also, like you said, something a bit spicy. Um, what for you makes a good conversation? You push people to think. Mm. It's just not about presenting points and presenting points is great. But when you start pushing people to think and you challenge their narrative and you challenge their perspectives and you you have the conversations that people are scared to have and you bring out the points that people are scared to have in a respectful way, that makes a good conversation. Something where I walk away from it and think, right, I didn't know that. It's informative. It's funny. It's caring. It's dynamic. It's balanced. It's a little bit spicy, you know, you create, again, this is all about not a safe space in that sense, but creating a space where people feel like they're able to show up and be themselves and they're not going to get mash up when they do it. You know what I mean? Like verbally mash up. It just doesn't make any sense to me. So in order to do that, I think it all leads back to what I said before. Like having a good conversation is not just about presenting points like you're doing a PowerPoint. Like, <laughs> don't just tell me how you think about this. Tell me how you feel. Like, why does it relate to yeah. your identity? How do you feel deep down about this subject matter? What you think all day is safe because I can just regurgitate points and statistics and yeah. it's important and I want to hear that. But I also want to hear how you feel and why you care so much about this situation or this perspective as well. I love that, man, because, you know, people will say, oh, but good, good TV or good, good um, presenting is what gets the views. And it's always when there's like, like something spicy going on. People always bring up someone like Piers Morgan, not Piers, not necessarily him, but someone like him who's presenting star can be very hostile, antagonistic and grilling people. Um, as someone yes, with, Can I just say something? Yeah, on that though? yeah. Go. You've got to ask yourself the question, what is good? The thing yeah. that brings in the most money or the thing that creates the most change. And those are two different things. And when we look at good, quite often it's, it gets the most clicks and it gets the most yeah. engagement and it gets like, it, it gets the most money because people are engaging with it. But actually sometimes the things that create the most change aren't the things that are going to make the most noise and everyone ain't going to be clicking on it. But there are going to be four or five people who come away from that conversation and their perspective has changed or you've planted a seed for 10 people and that seed grows and they carry it out into their communities and their families. That to me is what's good. Like the money thing, great. All right, listeners, that's great. But mm. actually, how are you creating change in society? How are you making this world better through what you're doing? Mm. Yeah, for real. And I, I, you know, you're trying to take me where I was going to go because the question I'm going to ask you is, how do you feel when you see other presenters within, you know, the same kind of industry that you're working within? How do you, how do you feel when you see that what's getting the clicks and what's getting the views is actually that way of presenting, which can be quite antagonistic and often people might even see it as hostile? I'm going to contradict myself right now because we're all walking contradictions, yeah? Everyone <laughs> yeah, loves no, a bit no, of facts, trash, bro. bro. Facts, <laughs> like, everyone <laughs> loves a bit of trash, isn't it? Like, yeah. I love a bit of trash, man. And sometimes it's frustrating. Like, yeah. I've, like, And I think Bilal, you and I have had conversations around that, right? Like, For sure. It's a bit like, sometimes you get the support, like, oh my God, what you're doing is amazing. But then when it comes to actually engaging with your content, people don't always do it. And mm. you're just getting mm. frustrated. But then it's that reminder of the thing that I said a bit earlier on, right? Like, Am I creating change with this? And is mm. this about the amount of clicks I get and the amount of people I engage? Or is this about putting out something that is of quality and that I can lay down my head at night and say, right, this is creating change in society or this is doing its job. This is doing what I want it to do. But the trash side of things or the things that aren't seen as like particularly political, like, I, bro, I love that shit, man. I love a bit of trash. Like people screaming at each other, I love it. You know what I mean? There's a space for it. But chaos. let's have balance. Like, I love the chaos, but let's have balance, right? And like, I, I just think the ways in which people present as well that gets attacked. And I'm not saying this person's trash because they're not. You know, you see ZZ Mills, yeah? 
Like, and the way people talk about her, the way people talk about her jars me sometimes. Zizi yeah. is a fantastic interviewer, you know. Zizi knows her lane and agree. she sticks to I just it. Think, I quite well, like Zizi. You know, I, I, like, I like Zizi yeah. Mills, but I think I think the thing that um I think once you get past that she is deliberately confrontational or deliberate not conf- confrontational is the wrong word because I don't I don't and I mean that in her terms of her style not her pers- um, personality um, she's got to my yeah, church yeah. years ago so lovely girl her and her mum her mum's a deacon actually in my old church actually Auntie Janet no way. yeah yeah Auntie Janet um, but I swear everyone used to go to your old church man the amount of times <laughs> you've used it as a reference <laughs> uh, big church man big church but um, <laughs> it's it's her style can sometimes be antagonistic. Her style reminds me of Jeremy Paxman on Newsnight years ago, right? Um, you would talk to politicians and they'll tell you that, all right, if you're going to go, you know, to any interview, no no preparation, yeah? But you go on, on Paxman, you need to prepare. And I would I would implore everybody to go and watch this interview. I think it was in 97 with Paxman and um, Michael Howard, who was this kind of big Tory, but he was a barrister. And he got asked something and, and uh, Paxman asked Michael Howard something 14 times to try and get the point through. That's how antagonistic he was being. And so I like Zizi because I think sometimes she is more than happy to play devil's advocate. She's more than happy yeah. to, mm. she's more than happy to almost put her her personal view aside and say, actually, do you know what? Um, let's ask this difficult question and see if you can handle it. And some people can't. Some people can't because they've <laughs> Crum- been, they've been some people have been yeah. so media trained as in like, okay, you're going to have this linear conversation. We're going to talk about either your mixtape or your politics or your, you know, the product you've designed. Very easy. But when she starts asking, you know, really tough questions, um, then it becomes like really, really difficult sometimes. And even she's been up for scrutiny herself sometimes because there have been some interviews where, Let's say in prior weeks, she hasn't been, she's been kind of, quote, antagonistic or she's been, she's been prodding, as I think good interviewing sometimes has that kind of investigative journalism that has that element, mm. right? You see it with Oprah, mm. you see it with Gail, Gail King, you know, they have, they do their, once a year, they alternate between who gets the really good interview, right? Oprah this year, she had uh, uh, Meghan and Harry, and, Harry, and uh, mm. year before then it was uh, Gail King had R. Kelly and it, it revolves, right? They have these, and you can tell, like, they pick their moments to prod and to push. Um, but, you know, back to Zizi, sometimes she'll have an interview and she's not going to give you that kind of, you know, tap on the, she's not going to prod your shoulder and stuff like that. But no, I like her style. I like her style. But I think you just have to, I think you also have to recognize that sometimes with the investigative investigative journalist, that sometimes they have, um, they have an objective to fulfill, which is, and, and not even from a clip perspective, it's, it's an objective to try and find something new or get a new angle, yeah. which means they're going to try something new. And I think once you realize you know how to engage with that kind of um, style of interviewer, you know what I mean? Um, Definitely. You know, so because it's like, I'm trying to think who else does like interviews. So let's say someone like a, um, there's a guy called DJ Double, who's like a DJ, but he's very, I like his music, in, or like a Semtex. They don't, or yeah. um, what's the what's the guy that has the this guy on BBC that has the um, oh, glasses, but he not interviews everyone in hip hop. I forgot his name, but he's like a legend. But and their style is not um, their style is not Zane Low. Zane Low. Um, oh, Zane yeah, Low. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, 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 their, yeah. their style. When I think about their style, their style is not putting them uh, um, prodding and pushing. Their style is much more like I'm just trying to understand the rationale as to why you made this music. Yeah. And mm, open-ended, yeah, very like, open-ended. I'm I'm gonna let you talk. It's like when Zane Lowe had one of my favorite ones was when he had Tame Impala over, um, and it was just an hour-long conversation. He just kept his mouth quiet and just let them speak. 
you know, which I enjoy. <laughs> so different different strokes with different folks, you know what I mean? And it just depends on what they're they're trying to achieve, man. So yeah. Facts. And and that is why I brought up ZZ, because I think people because of her style, people automatically collapse her into trash. And what she does is trash. And that's trash. and I'm like, it's not there are platforms that are trash and I'm not mm. gonna send for them. Mm. But um she's not one of them, you know, and it's like I I think you made a great point. Like I feel like there should be space for all of this stuff, right? Yeah. Like it shouldn't just yeah. be one style. There's not one conversation happening. It we we need to cater to different types of people. And unfortunately, the things that get get the clicks are the sensationalism, but I think Zizi is somebody who's been able to create a good balance between getting answers and things that are seen as sensational. Yeah. Like mm. what me as somebody who does interview and watching her, I learn I learn from her. You know what I mean? The way she pushes the needle and prods and like ask those difficult questions with a straight face, you know? She doesn't even smile about it. I think that's a sign of a fantastic interviewer. Like, I just think what she does is really good. But I think a lot of people just collapse what she does into trash. And I think that's really unfair. Like, I think she's great at what she does. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I'm Sometimes I'm not the biggest fan of her interviews, but I do watch them ardently. And I'm like, you know what? Fair enough. She's asking sometimes questions that she doesn't want to ask, uh, that people, other people won't want to necessarily ask. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sometimes yeah, it doesn't yeah, always yeah. have to be a nice interview and stuff like that. And it's, you know, and it's, at the end of the day, she's created her own space to kind of do her own thing and do things in her own way. And it's like, well, anyone that kind of enters into her like chamber or her studio or whatever, you know, they know what they're going to be up for. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's, um, mm. yeah, I, I often think she does get a bad rap because I think people just say, no, why are you doing this? Why are you being this way? It's like, well, She's asking, sometimes she's asking the right questions. It's just sometimes the way, sometimes we can't handle the way, you know what I mean? It's like, what's it? A few good men, the truth. You can't handle the truth, you know what I mean? <laughs> or at least the style of the truth, you know what I mean? Sometimes like that, you know? Um, and cause actually she had an interview with, what's what's the guy that was the Tory, the, he doesn't like to be called a Tory, the conservative mayor or candidate. I mean, he's lost. To Sean Bailey. Sean Bailey, he had him on Sean, the other, yeah. she had him on the other week actually. Oh, sweet. And to, and, and, and I, I would say it was a, it was a very fair interview, I think. She didn't, I mean, she pushed a little bit, I mean, but actually no, she did push a fair amount, but and it was, it was fair. She let him have, have the voice and, you know, have him, let him have his voice and stuff like that. But it was very fair. So, you know. I want to just pivot slightly, Richie. It's not really a pivot because it's kind of encompassing what we're talking about today. But as someone who works in DNI, right, part of, as you know, that world very well, part of that is people not feeling comfortable to even address some issues in particular or not feeling like they can. But also as someone who's a conversationalist for a living, like that's your job is to engage people within conversations. They might maybe ask some of those harder questions. What do you find are some of the, the questions that people are the least comfortable with, with answering or addressing? Why are you racist? Okay. No, I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> 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 but, <laughs> no, no, not even. <laughs> yeah, but no. Um, <laughs> it's not even funny because it's so true. <laughs> yeah, it's true, isn't it? I just think anything that, cha- like, there's, below. it's really hard to answer that because there are loads, right? Anything yeah. that challenges the status quo and status quo and anything that c- challenges your comfortability, like how comfortable you are. Like, I think people are always they always find those conversations difficult. But I feel like people always find questions that are about things that exist outside of their own identities difficult. Mm. Like bottom mm. line, I don't want to answer that or mm. talk about it because I've not experienced it. So I don't have an opinion on it. But actually the way in which you move through the world sometimes has an impact on those communities. So we're still going to have to talk about it, right? So I think the questions are always ones that kind of challenge people's thought processes and perspectives. 
Yeah. I think that's that. Those are the ones that people are uncomfortable with the most. But those are most of the conversations, right? So, am I going back? Am I waffling and just saying all of them? No, no, I'm making, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, you're making sense. You're making sense, bro. Um, no, 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 you're making sense. And then I think like, like I just actually I want I want to ask like back back to not not the original question because it's it's all one and the same. But like in terms of like like shout out like good. UK platforms like we've we've you've done some of it already but ones I guess ones that are standing out right now or ones that are existing right now oh, name so them that many, good, just ones that come to your head obviously you're going to miss a couple and that's fine and no yeah. but, but what, what why who are they um why are they good and maybe listen Kalechi's to Kalechi's podcast them. because she's just funny man I just the way she sends for people makes me laugh but it's the, the intelligent analysis behind that I, mm. I, like I love it there's um, also Tutu's podcast mm-hmm. I think that's fantastic You're, you yourselves as well obviously I don't want to be blow smoke up you while I'm on your own podcast but yeah do you know what I mean I think <laughs> that's an important one also um, there's have you seen Black Gay and Back in the Day on Instagram no so oh. basically, they explore the experiences of the black LGBT community um, uh, and like what it was like for people in the LGBT oh, community shit. in like the 70s, 80s, because their voices oh, and their wow. experiences aren't always spoken about. And That's I just cool. think, yeah, man, like, it's just a fantastic insight into a part of black history that we don't always talk yeah. about. Yeah. Mm. Um, so I think that is just a fantastic platform. I'm tra- There's just so many, man. I'm trying to think. You know, like, it's almost like, you know, when you're in an argument with somebody, right? And they're yeah. like, oh, go and explain it to me yeah. then. And you're yeah. just there stuttering. And, and then you're like, you're I, know, I know oh exactly. Oh, my God, that's <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, I'm a married man in this. Oh, so. God. <laughs> that's where I'm at now, man. I'm like, uh, 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 I'm stuttering. And there's nothing. What nah, I'll do I is I'll create a Twitter thread. <laughs> go, yeah, do a thread. Do a thread. We'll, but those are the ones that like, I've engaged with recently that like instantly come to mind. Those ones that kind of teach mm. you about experiences that you, you, you've not known about previously and you, you don't have an understanding of like those ones have really opened my eyes. Um, mm, Tutu's mm. podcast, man, those like, Ro and Nana, I just think are fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you've ever listened, but I just love their vibe, man. Do you know, one of the ones that I recently took to quite recently actually was um, Winners Talking with Pound Sterling, actually. I, and I took, I took to that quite oh, recently yeah, yeah. because like Pound is, he's, he's a lot older than us. Um, and I think mm-hmm. someone who's a bit older that can give us all a, a little bit of guidance. Sometimes he gives he gives like the hard truth. Do you know what I mean? Um, you have to take mm-hmm. what he says with a bit of a pinch of salt. But I like I like kind of what he he's trying to and he he talks. It's mainly about. Um, I mean, it's all encompassing, but a lot of it is kind of the idea of just improving on masculinity and not just in a relationship sense, but in a it's a very holistic approach. You know what I mean? which I think is, mm-hmm. I think is mm-hmm. important as well to kind of try and display it in a positive light, albeit in sometimes in a bit of a funny way, but I appreciate that. But yeah, the- no, I agree actually, because like, I think, especially with, with Pound's podcast, sorry to cut you off, by the way. Um, I feel like there is the feeling that like a lot of conversations when it pertains to like, of, he, he in many ways could be seen as a hyper-masculine figure. Yeah, for real, for real. I mean, he's, 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 and people that know his story know his story as so as far as like his background in music, on the roads, like whatever, his age, whatever, have a very kind of particular uh, view on certain things. But I feel like that voice can go missing because of the toxicity that is um, associated with that kind of old school mentality. Mm. But I think that there is a space for it if it's done mm. in a, 
in a way that's open-minded and I think he's got a, a, a decent balance. Yeah, he's, like, he's almost like a reformed, well. he's like a reformed man. Do you know what I mean? That's looking back on, uh, he's looking back on his years that have gone by and basically dishing out wisdom to everybody. I think, which I kind of, I appreciate, I think a lot. But Richie, you said something, you've, you've kind of, you've pointed out the kind of, you get to learn, you get to look from the outside in. But I think the, main, the most interesting thing that you've mentioned is that, well, most of the, the 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 platforms you brought up are distributed out of podcasts. Um, so mm. then, my next question is: Why not radio? Why not TV? Or are there anything in radio and TV? And what do you think is the advantage of podcasts versus other other um, means of distribution that can make something good uh, and something less so good, or, or even bad, even so? Well, I'm on radio, so <laughs> <laughs> there's that. You know what I mean? Um, so radio, there's a space for. I mean, you've got things like that aren't specifically black, like Women's Hour and platforms yeah. like that. That's actually that really good. Things. I was. Can I say on what you do yeah, on Radio Four? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think yeah, it's, radio it's Radio One, isn't it? It's Radio Four. It was a I should know this. Radio hey, edit this radio bit out, yeah, because why don't I know this? <laughs> it is Radio Four. It's, a, it's Radio Four. Do you know what? It's actually really interesting to listen to. So I think it's like eleven a.m. or something, like ten or eleven a.m. And it's really interesting to listen to. A bit like the I would say, like also something I enjoy is the today the Today Show on Radio Four. If you could between six to nine, and sometimes when I'm doing my morning stuff, I listen to it. It's very very. Um, informative and educational and obviously the BBC try with their impartiality and whatever and the reason why I say it in that way is because it's, it's very difficult everybody criticizes the BBC for a lack of impartiality right I mean Ken Clark who was a retired MP he was father of the house he was the oldest MP he once said he was in a, having a debate and he said okay hands up those who are a bit more left-leaning put their hands up he said are the, and keep your hands up if the BBC are uh, impartial. Everybody put their hands down. It's okay. Hands up, everybody who is more right leaning. People put their hands up. And he asked the same question, and no, you know, nobody had their hands up. So it's always difficult because of you know everybody's got something to complain about, and it's the fact that we pay our. Well, I don't anymore because I'm not here. I'm not in the UK anymore. But everybody pays their taxes, so they want something done in a certain way. But yeah. Anyway, that aside, I, I, yeah. Why not? What do you think is the advantage of podcast versus radio and, and TV or not? Like, I just want to get your view on this. So I think there's a balance between the two, right? So I think if you do anything on an official platform, there are things that you need to adhere to, like any job, like, like anything you put out, with like Ofcom, all of that kind of stuff. TV, they are governed by a body as well. So everything on official platforms is governed. Podcasts, you are your own governors. Like you put out, you say what you want, you do what you want, you create your own space. No one could tell you nothing because it's your space at the end of the day, right? So there's nothing that you have to adhere to when you're creating your own podcast apart from your own expectations. And those goalposts can shift at any time because you shift them, right? I think if you have anything that's on an official platform, there are things that you have to adhere to. There are bodies that you have to adhere to. If the goalposts shift, there's probably a number of different stages that, have to happen before you're able to make a change yeah. um so yeah. you find that podcasts for me are a little bit more fluid like that you, you're working to your own interests and anything can change at like a drop of a hat and like you can swear like you can be your authentic <laughs> self in a sense like you can't do that on radio like that do you know what i mean so mm-hmm. or, or television mm-hmm. like that so for me what i find so beautiful about podcasts is people aren't restricted they just come on and they say what they like and they bring their whole selves to these conversations and no one can say no manager can step in and say ah, ah. like yeah. you, you can't you need to change that 
You're like, yeah, I created this from the ground up. What do you mean I'm changing it? I'd have to change nothing. And obviously people argue on their own platforms, but your podcast is almost an extension of you, right? Like listening to you lads podcast, you can tell that this is an extension of your own identities and own personalities. I don't think you can always do that when it comes to mainstream platforms. I think we do it, obviously I would say this. I think we do it pretty well on One Extra Talks. We push the needle I bring myself, but also there are ways that maybe I would come and chat on here that I wouldn't be able to chat on national radio. Mm. And that's the mm. beauty of podcasts. Mm. I think it gives you freedom to kind of explore what you want and be who you really are. And then and then with that, what, what are some of the, if you've had any, what are some of the kind of difficult conversations you may or may not have had with your editorial team in terms of things that you wanted to discuss or even like, post-production they've been like oh, what's going on like, have you have you interacted that as of yet or have you had that interaction as of yet or do you know what I, my 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 team we're very much on the same page and that's what makes it so easy and that's what makes for me one extra talk so beautiful because we are on the same page but previously like I've been involved in other things that have been difficult so it's like maybe I want to have a conversation about something yeah but why are you why are you having that conversation? You as Richie, why yeah. should you be the person having it? So caring about it isn't enough, right? Having some sort of knowledge on it isn't enough. There are things that maybe you need to embody or you need to prove before you're able to walk through that door. And sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes that's a bad thing. It works in multiple ways. Um, I would say what's difficult sometimes is there have been times where I've presented again. This isn't one extra talk, so I'm quite new to it. This is I've been on the show since November, right? But there are things that I've had to be involved with previously and walk away from because they don't sit with me and my own politics. Do you know what I mean? Mm, like mm. I can't I know that if I'm gonna interview this person and have the conversation that you want me to have, I will not be happy going home and I'll yeah. I will be unsettled for weeks mm. and I'm just not mm. willing to do it. So there have been some spheres that I've been involved in where they want you to promote and platform really harmful people. And it's not this cancel culture stuff that everyone talks about that we collapse these conversations into. It's you are harming communities and you want me to have a conversation that makes this person look like some sort of saint and I can't ask them difficult questions. I'm not willing to do that. Mm. There's an expectation sometimes that you make sometimes you got to ask yourself whether you're the devil's advocate or the devil himself or herself. <laughs> and sometimes these people uh, are devils, yeah. you know? And I ain't yeah. got, I'm not going to make you look good on screen and not ask you questions about the harmful things you've done mm. and you've said mm. in order to get a check. Mm. I ain't doing it, my friend. But there are spaces where you're expected to do that. Mm. Mm. Wow. Man, I'm just... I'm just conscious of time as well, Richie. And I wanted to I ask... chat enough, man. I'm no, sorry. No, I feel no, like I've come I, on and I'm no, like... Bro. Brr. Bruv, I love it. It's, it's just like hitting me with knowledge after knowledge after knowledge. I wanted to just ask you, because we're talking... We're having a conversation about conversations, right? And I wanted to yeah. ask you if there was in your life, if there's been like a powerful conversation that just sticks with you. And it could be for any reason. Fuck it now. Now you're asking. Um... There's been loads. Mm. Um, there's so I'm just trying to pull out one. I, I again a cop out, but I can't. I can't say this has happened in a specific conversation, but these mm. have been varying conversations across the course of my life, mm. and it's my parents reminding me of who the fuck I am, yeah. and reinforcing yeah. my strength and my power. Mm. And like teaching me not to shrink myself. Cause I think I grew up in particular environments that made me shrink myself, right? Mm. Like it's always difficult. Like I, I did some of my, my upbringing 
outside of my home is cliche. Like I have some of that story that you see on television growing up in a particular area. Mm. Like some of that is the stereotype. Mm. And the, some of the stuff that comes along with that, that people don't acknowledge is the, A, the trauma that's associated with it and mm. B, sometimes the mask you put up to survive it. Mm. And, so, and how that mask doesn't allow you to operate in certain spaces. So you shrink yourself. You, there's no happy medium, right? It's like yeah. I either put this mask on to survive or when I go into the workplace, I shrink myself because it's seen as too aggressive and too yeah. ghetto and too this and too that. Mm. And my parents have always been people who have reminded me of who the fuck I am and my strength. And no, 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 you're shrinking yourself in this sense. No, you need to speak up for yourself. When you get into this situation, like you need to talk to people like this and don't hold that part of yourself in, release that part of yourself and bring that part of yourself into the room when you walk in. And I feel like my parents have constantly reminded me of that. And I tell you the biggest thing, probably one of the biggest things, and it's happened twice. Once when I left my job and the, the, the well, the first time when I left college and the second time when I got kicked out, but the, the, the second time when I, when I left my job and it was my parents reminding me that happiness is, is paramount. Like, and hmm. my mental health is paramount. And my parents have always said, like, there's been certain instances in my life where my parents have sat me down and said, like, I don't recognize my son. This guy sitting in front of me right now, I don't recognize you. This situation that you're in, it is messing your mental health up. You need to remove yourself from it. And the college thing, I got removed <laughs> rather than be removing myself. But the work, the workplace thing, I handed in my notice. My parents will constantly have conversations with me around my mental health. And that's a privilege. Not everyone that's, can do yeah, that, yeah. you know, but inside the yard and them kind of things. So, you know, kind of being looked after in that sense when, when <laughs> that happened. But um, mm -hmm. Like my parents will fiercely protect my mental health and they'll talk about it and they'll bring it up and they'll tell me when I'm I not being that. myself and they'll tell me when they see a change inside me. And those conversations mm -hmm. making me not scared to speak up for myself, making me not scared to go to therapy, making me not scared to bring my whole self are conversations that will stick with me for the rest of my life. Sometimes when I feel myself shrinking, I'm reminded of the words that my parents say to me and it reminds me of who I am and to bring my full self into a situation and sometimes to push back. I love that, man. I love just, mm. it sounds like Powerful. you've got amazing parents. and so They're supportive. G's, bro. They're the best they people in the whole man. world, honestly. They're my heroes, both of them. Yeah. Oh, they come all... from nothing, man. Absolutely nothing. And they've just, I don't know. I always get a bit choked up when I talk about them because no, they're just, they're no, my heroes, man. If I'm half the person they both are, I'd be happy. That's wholesome, bruv. That's really wholesome. Um, I just wanted to, uh, just before... You know, we start wrapping up. Kwaku, Tom, is there any final questions that maybe either of you have for Richie? No, man, I'm full from just, from everything that's been said from this whole conversation, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. I, I just feel energized as man. Yeah, for real, yeah, man. Too. For real. Me too, man. Well, I just want to say again, Richie, thank you so much for coming down today. Oh, wait, hold on, like... hold on. Wait, 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 oh, wait, yeah. wait, okay. wait, 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 wait. There we go. Got to be some type of top five. Yeah, there you top, go, there you go. Top five started, verses, yeah. So, uh, yeah, obviously it's a bit of a customary question we have here. I'm trying to make it one anyway. But, um, <laughs> you're Richie. Push the needle, top, bro. Top Push five, top five DOA. Yeah. Top five that are alive. Oh, what? Come on. Come on. Uh, Doddy Hathaway. Ooh, yo, that was left. Yo, wow. Doddy Hathaway. Yo, the, come on. That man's voice. Come on. He's just nah, one of that. the best voices I've ever heard in life. And his daughter inherited it in a mad way, bro. Yo, yo. Layla. 
Listen, I see bro. her live once. At, um, not Jazz Cafe. Ronnie Scott's, bruv. Oh my days. Yeah, yo, yo. I think I was there, you know. Yo. I'm pretty sure I was there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Layla, definitely. Um, not, uh, not well, a musician, but not uh, an artist in terms of rapper or singer. Dilla, obviously. Shout out. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I'm such mm-hmm. a Dilla fan. Uh, Beanie Man is just, yeah. <laughs> like, I just, oh, I, I would say joint Beanie Man and Lady Saw, you know, because... Yo, like Lady Saw as a lyricist, as nasty as the lyrics are, and I love that. Like, she's just, she's just fantastic. Um, and I'm a West Indian, innit? So, you know, I'm always, I'm always going to big up that. Omar. Yes. Mm. Yes. Yes. Omar. Hey, listen, I'm not going to lie. I remember, local I remember seeing him at Jazz Cafe oh, when I was God. about, what, about 16, yeah? And, and I remember going yeah, up yeah. to him, I was like, bro, it's my first time seeing you. He's like, listen, you missed the, the best 20 years of me performing, brother. You dumb. <laughs> like, you missed the best 20 years, but I'm happy I've got a younger That's fan so listening, bruv. His last album, Loving Beats, was crazy. Um, True, oh, it was sick, bruv. It was sick. Even uh, Stevie Wonder said that he wanted to be like Omar when he grew up. That's how yeah. mad Omar yeah, was. Yeah, bro. yeah, yeah. I've seen him live wow. seven times. Wow. Seven. Seven. Yeah, crazy. yeah, for real, man. Seven. And then, oh, I had the last one on the tip of my tongue, man. It's oh, Roy Ayers. Yo. Oh, wow. Okay. You're I, old soul, bro. Sheesh. Bro, listen. Trust me. I met Roy Ayers, right? <laughs> so you know everyone's got this musician that they love people love Pharrell because I love Timberland Pharrell like those are my G's yeah. you see yeah. Roy Ayers like he is like my musical like he's my musical god and I met him at Jazz Cafe and I was so starstruck that I told him I loved him as soon as, <laughs> as, soon as I got face to face I was like Roy I love you do you know what Roy Ayers did which made me love me which made me love him even more he hugged me like he was my granddad oh, he said oh wow, come here son man. and hugged me like he was my granddad I said yo wow. this guy will forever be one of my top one of my prized things inside my yard is um I've got the Running Away on original vinyl, Mad. his song Running Away. Um, also, I know you told me five, but they have to get an honorable keep mention. Going, Children going. of Zeus. Okay. Ooh, Children of yes. Zeus, okay. man. Yes. Okay. Cold. Children cold. of Zeus. Listen. Very, hood man. Very cold. Yo. I could yes. do that. I'm a music maniac. I, I want that's a my Richie thing, playlist. So. This now, is it. Know, um, you know, I can oh, tell. I've got you. I can tell many times you've been to Jazz Cafe, brother, as well. This is, yes. <laughs> this is, yeah. I can tell. Because them artists, I'm like, yeah, they come Jazz yeah. Cafe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Defo, man. I saw Tweet there Jazz as well. Cafe, man. Trust me, trust me. I've got a playlist for you, man. I'm going to sort you out, man. But like music is, I'm sorry you started me off. That's my subject. Like I, although I do talk shows and I love to talk, music is like my heart. That got me through my life. Like I'm a music I fanatic. That, so. Man. Yeah, man. We have to get you on again to just on the music. Yeah, for real, man. Listen, yeah, I'm down. All of us are music lovers. Yeah. I'm down, man. But more... honestly, let me say before you wrap up, like, thank you for opening your space to me um, and just having this conversation. I know you're saying that you feel energized, but for me, the conversation that we've had, just the love that you've brought me today as well, man, has just, it's really uplifted me. So I just wanted to thank you for the podcast, number one, the great work that you do. Um, and number two, for bringing me on the podcast. It's a real honor to be here. Thank you, Richie, man. Love you. Love you so much for that. Love you um, too, man. Everyone, that was Richie. Richie, if people want to find you, if they don't already have you on social media, where can they find you? At Richie Brave, if I haven't blocked you. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> no, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> no, 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 I'm joking, joking, joking. But yeah, at wow. Richie Brave um, on all the platforms. That's where I am. I ain't blocked no one, man. I ain't blocked no one. That energy, bro. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs>
<laughs> if you can't find okay. him, he's blocked to you. But if you can find him, add him, man. He's a great guy. Keep it's a lottery. It's a lottery. So. <laughs> um, we've been Over the Bridge Podcast. If you want to stay in touch with us on the socials at OTB Podcast UK or send us an email at OTB, OTB Podcast UK at gmail.com. Um, to have a great rest of your day, week, month, or year, whenever you're listening. Do stay in touch. Over and out.